Welcome to another episode of the Federal Newswire Lunch Hour Podcast with your host, Andrew Langer. Well, hi there. Welcome to another episode of the Lunch Hour with Federal Newswire. I'm your host, Andrew Langer, and I've been very excited for this interview. It's uh, someone who has uh, uh, been a great source of inspiration to me. Uh, I've been a big fan of his career since long before he became a member of Congress. His name is Andy Harris. He is the representative for Maryland's 1st Congressional District. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Good to be with you, Andrew. So let's, let's take it back. As we're recording this, normally I don't talk about the sort of the time delay here, but I want to put everybody within the context of what's been going on. We had a very contentious fight for Speaker of the House of Representatives last week, and I want to get your thoughts on this, um, about why things played out the way they did, what was gained, what might have been lost. What are your thoughts here? Sure. Look, I'll, I'll tell you what, what firmed everything up really in December was when Nancy Pelosi dropped those two 4,000-page bills on our desk. Yeah. One of them called the National Defense Authorization Act that had about 12 <laughs> other bills combined into yeah. it. Uh, with one day to look it over, uh, up or down vote, very brief debate, no chance for amendments. Yeah. Uh, then a week later, drops a 4,400-page, $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. Wow. Again, omnibus, yeah. meaning it had a lot of st- yeah. all the spending bills in it. One day to look it over. Yeah. No amendments. One-hour debate. This is ju- w- w- That sure. firmed up that we can't do business like this. Absolutely. And, and then the, 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 I think the serious negotiations started at that point to make sure that never happened again, which culminated on that you know, early hours of the morning on Saturday sure. with the election of Speaker McCarthy having come to an agreement. Let's, let's talk about the context of all of this as well, right? Because this is this, the, the way we've been doing things for the last few cycles is not the way things have been done in the past. This concept of regular order... Talk about why regular order is so important, not just for the process of the House, but also for the American people generally. Uh, Absolutely. Look, we have 435 representatives. If you don't have regular order and you don't sit on that committee of jurisdiction, you can't affect the legislation. You're not allowed to bring an amendment to the floor. You're not allowed to improve that legislation the way it might affect your district. And, and of course, by regular order, we mean that bills come to the floor and you can actually put amendments yeah. on them. It has been, I'm told, and it's probably true, uh, seven years, six years since yeah. we've actually had floor amendments uh, where it's open wow. to floor amendments. And we've had votes on amendments on the floor, but those amendments had to have been approved by the Rules Committee. That's insane. Okay. So, yeah. So, so it's and, and the Rules Committee is the Speaker's Committee. So it's just like the frog in water. Over sure. time, the Speaker has become more and more powerful right. and, and been willing to use that power. And Nancy Pelosi was the epitome. Right. 4,000 page bills, no chance to amend it, up or down vote, 24 hours to look it over. Let's you pinging on on that issue alone for a second because you were elected in 2010 part of the Tea Party wave of Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I know I'd worked on back then and I know others had worked on was this idea of giving because we'd been through this back in back in the back in the Democrat led Congress the last time around where uh, where they were not giving members enough time to read the bills. What sort of fell apart after that? Why have why is it only now that we're we're sort of back to this idea of of giving people time to read the legislation? Sure, it's it's a great question. Yeah. So we took over, and then it became pretty obvious that the easiest way to run the House 
is authoritarian. <laughs> sure, of course. Right? It's We won't allow amendments. George W. So, Bush said it best, right? If I were the decider in charge, it would be, it would be easy. Yeah. We go ahead. So, yeah. so again, it's, it's you know, that's, look, the, the founders of this country were brilliant because they realized that if you're given power, right. you will take more power. Sure. Obviously, our rules gave the speaker too much power. Yeah. And over time, they were willing to take that power. And uh, we were guilty of the same thing. I mean, look, in 2016, we were in charge, sure. and we weren't allowing floor amendments because it is easier for the Speaker to run the House. But it's not better for the American people, the individual members. Because, again, if I don't sit on a committee as jurisdiction of something and it, and it, and it, it has a serious effect on my district, I should be sure. able – and my district is – has because it has an effect on my district, yeah. I can lend expertise to that – that's called the amendment process. We have to have an amendment Let's process. Let's talk about your district. Now, obviously, in the, for the sake of, of, our, of, of uh, transparency's sake, I lived in that district for mm -hmm. many, many years. It's a district I'm very fond of. Maryland's first congressional district. Talk about Maryland 1 and why that's such a unique or interesting district, uh, you know, both nationally and also for Maryland. Yeah. Well, it is the only, as of now, the only district held by a Republican in the state of Maryland. Uh, the, in West, in Maryland, of course, has the Baltimore-Washington Carter in the middle, and then Western Maryland and Eastern Maryland, which are generally Republican areas. So depending on how you gerrymander those two, depends sure. on how many representatives you have. Look, it's a district that's the deep suburbs of uh, Washington, um, I'm sorry, of Baltimore, and a rural, the rural area of Maryland's eastern shore. Uh, so it's a fairly unique district in Maryland because the Western Maryland district has rural has rural areas, but it, it doesn't go as close to Baltimore sure. City as, uh, as uh, my Eastern Shore district does. And, and so, you know, we'll, we'll go back. So you were in the military, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we'll get to that. You you are a physician, you know, mm -hmm. one of very few in the, in the House, which informs your decision making, I think, in a, in, especially on issues regarding health care in a very different way. Um, what made you run for office the first time? You know, and I don't now. I don't remember if yeah. you ran. You, were you before you were you in elective office before you were Maryland state senator? No, no. Okay, I've so you ran for Maryland senator the first state time. What prompted you to run for state senator? Uh, you know, honestly, to, to be involved in politics because yeah. both my parents came from escaped from communist countries, yeah. uh, so they believed that pe if, if people should take the opportunity to be involved in sure. politics when you can, and in America you can. So it's, it's a way to give back, just like my military service was. I mean, it's a way to say, look, yeah. I'm going to serve the community this way. You know, we had a conversation early on with Ilya Shapiro, who was at uh, the Cato Institute and then briefly at Georgetown, now at the Manhattan Institute. And we had a conversation about how, you know, second generation Americans, you know, whose family had come from Eastern Europe, from the communist bloc, how that informed their view of freedom and liberty. Talk a little bit about that for you, because I also know that that, that is certainly true of, of you and your background. Oh, it's absolutely true. Yeah. What, what we see going on now, uh, again, you know, the the incremental increase in power of the government, yeah. effect, of, effect over the media, being willing to uh, alter the story. You know, my parents, you know, would tell me stories about propaganda in the yeah. old country. Well, you know, we're seeing it here. Sure. We're seeing it now. So, so it, it, it's a very useful. It's been very useful in forming my decisions and keeping my eyes wide open into into the fact that this country is clearly the best country in the world. Mm. But we're all subject to human nature, and if we don't follow our constitution and we don't follow it, the the again resist the natural tendency of people sure. in power to get more power, we'll end up in the same place. You know, one of the things that. That, that, you know, made me interested in what you were doing was talking about power, talking about executive branch power, regulatory mm -hmm. power. You were one of very few members, so actually one of few very few candidates at the time who sort of understood um, the regulatory state, the administrative state, the enormous power it has. Talk about that 
also in the context of your district and what folks in your district are facing and and what they're facing now under the, the Biden administration. Well, I'll tell you first, with regards to my background, yeah. it was pretty clear that healthcare in the United States is subject to bureaucratic oversight. Yeah. And in the case of Medicare taking uh, care of you know millions of our seniors, uh, heavy bureaucratic oversight. Sure. They decide whether you can get a medical device or not. They decide whether you can have access to a new drug or not. Uh, things that again is just subject to regulation. With regards to the district, I mean, again, you know, a ha- largely agricultural district in, in parts of my uh, district. It, it uh, borders on the Chesapeake Bay, yeah. so they're in environmental issues. So, you know, we have this constant uh, strain between those people who think that, uh, you know, the environment should uh, be supreme overall versus the people who say, well, actually, people have to make a living, that, you know, you actually have to have farming, you have to actually put fertilizer on your land, you know, things like that. Uh, So the regulatory regulatory condition under which you operate is incredibly important for people in my district. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, again, getting down to the rural side and the distances that are involved, right? You know, you have people, I don't even remember how long it is from the lower part of the eastern shore all the way up to Baltimore, the northern part of the shore. But people who have to travel tremendous amount of, of distance to get services, you know, things like gas prices, things like the idea of making people transition to all electric vehicles. These have a very proximate uh, concern for people in Maryland One. Tell us a, a little bit about that. Sure. So uh, that's a great example. Yeah. So, yeah, people have to drive. I mean, yeah. it's a rural area. So, for instance, when we were discussing a uh, carbon tax, yeah. you have to say, okay, well, who's going to be affected by a carbon tax? Well, if, you, if, if, if it predominantly affects uh, vehicles, yeah. then people who drive a lot are going to be affected by it. Well, how do you, you know, then it's not an equal taxation. If you put a, you know, the equal taxation on a gallon of gas, a carbon tax is going to affect rural people more. How are you going sure. to make up for that if, you know, if, if you come to that kind of regulatory scheme? So, uh, yeah, same thing. I mean, usually in rural areas, houses are freestanding, heating bills are higher, you yeah. know, more people who depend on heating oil when the, when the price of diesel and heating oil was over $5 a gallon, approaching $6 a gallon, someplace exceeding that, heavily influences uh, the economy in a rural area. Yeah. It's interesting because right now there's a big debate advanced by one of the commissioners on the Consumer Product Safety Commission over the banning of gas stoves. I mean, are you hearing from folks about this? I mean, it's... it's, uh, Obviously, there are a lot of folks, a lot of folks, not just in Maryland one, but elsewhere that have gas stoves. The idea that they want to get rid of these, this is... Uh, to me, it's a form of insanity. Want to get your your thoughts on this? Well, you know, th- this really just popped up. I, yeah. I, I d- didn't realize that they were even looking into sure. this. But uh, you know, I'll tell you from the medical point of view. I mean, they make an argument that there are particular matters. Uh, yeah. It makes sense if you burn any product in your house, you're going to have sure. fine particles. Uh, and they've somehow, and I haven't had a chance to look into it, they've somehow linked this to the increased incidence of asthma. Yeah. So yeah, it could be in some high risk communities. You know, maybe maybe we can make them a little cleaner burning. We can you know yeah. do some warnings. But to say. We're just not going to. We're just going to eliminate <laughs> yeah. this. Well, what's the substitute? I mean, are we going to burn wood? No. We are right. going to have electricity. We already have grid problems. I mean, you know, you you can't you can't just substitute right. electricity for everything. And that's what that's you know it's a temptation. We better we better not go down that road. Um, you're on the appropriations committee, um, but there are other things besides the preps. What are your what are your priorities uh, in in terms of the next Congress? Sure. Well, the, so the first thing we have to do is we have to get the spending under control. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, you know, this runaway spending, the $4 trillion in, in literally printed money over the past few years, resulted in the inflation Absolutely. problem that we have that's still here. It's not transitory, not going to go away as long as we have trillion-dollar yeah. deficits that we have to fund by essentially printing money. Although I joke with people, I say we don't print it anymore. We just push a button <laughs> sure, and yes. electronically generate it. 
Absolutely. Uh, so spending far and away, get rid of inflation. Time out. You had that yeah. opponent a few cycles ago who was handing out $100 bills with her with her picture on. I don't know if you remember this, but it was to me it was one of the most it was one of the weirdest most tone-deaf uh, uh campaign stunts to hand out money with her with her and it was just a very strange thing. Yeah. No, yeah. look, yeah. we 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 have to, we so we have to uh, get away from the idea that that we can afford trillion dollar yeah. deficits and we can do it by uh, income redistribution, by things by by not <laughs> encouraging work. The only way we get out of this uh this whole situation is economic growth sure. and spending restraint by the federal government. So that's obvious key. We have to bring down the cost of energy. Hugely yeah. important in a rural district. We already talked about it. We have to make sure we have the manpower. And uh, finally, we have to make sure that our education system actually yeah. functions the way it should. We're spending more per capita than almost every other country in the world, and we aren't getting the best result. And it's because, honestly, teachers' unions are in charge of our education, not educators, sure. teachers' unions. Let me come back to the speaker's race. And there is a debate and discussion over whether or not the negotiations that happened over the rules, whether or not they should have been done behind closed doors or done as they were in, in plain view of the American people. Now, I, I go back and forth on this, right? I'm someone who gets very uncomfortable with sort of having dirty laundry get sort of laid bare. On the other hand, I think it's important for the American people to see that stuff is being negotiated and that, that questions are being asked. I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. Well, I think I think one of the stories being told was that uh, for some reason we we didn't we just didn't want Kevin McCarthy as speaker, yeah. and the answer is no. We just didn't want Kevin McCarthy or any speaker with the powers sure. that the current That's rules afforded that person. And people would ask me, well, you know, aren't you afraid you will make Kevin McCarthy a weaker speaker? Well, we would have made Nancy Pelosi a weaker speaker right. if we had these rules, sure. and I think the country would have been better for it. Uh, so, yes, obviously, uh, you know, once we get past that, it was only a question of when can we come to this agreement? Sure. And what, what can we include in this agreement, uh, again, to advance the interests of the American people and to protect them, uh, you know, from, uh, I think, what we've seen over the last few years is a speakership gone awry. Right. And I think the reality is, you know, is all the histrionics aside, two years from now, no one's going to care two wits about whether or not you took a day or four days. I think days two or, weeks yeah. from now. Right. Yeah, yeah, given given the cycles. Yeah. You know, so let's talk about that a little bit, about the uh, the issue of the 24-second the news cycle mm -hmm. and how that impacts the politics and the discourse up on the Hill. I mean, it, politics generally. I mean, how does, how does the fast-paced moving and the constant hunger for not just news – but salacious news on the part of the leftist press. How does this play into the the, the discourse? Look, the tr the trouble is we, we've we've come into a performative media. I mean, mm. the fact of the matter is is that there is there instead of uh, people coming here in order to get things done for their district and for the country, uh, they want to see if they can get into the news cycle yeah. with a you know with some tweet with some you know we had we had a and I won't name names yeah. but there was a very junior member on the other side of the aisle with no experience coming here who basically uh, was a social media star, sure. and the reporters would just mob this sure. person right. every time this person appeared somewhere, as though this person was going to lay a nugget of knowledge sure. on, 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 on the country, and that isn't good for the country. I, I, I had a situation, someone that I went to high school with is now a member of Congress, actually someone I grew up with, now a member of Congress, I, again, not to name names, but got down on the floor of the House and rapped about energy usage. People can go and Google that if they want and figure it out. And I just said, how how galling and how inappropriate is this? Yeah. I mean, this I, I, I found it so offensive. Um, but yeah, the, the, but I appreciate this idea of the performative nature of it because it takes away the ability to really have a conversation, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, it uh, 
it distracts the media mm. from what they really ought to be uh, sure. reporting on. I mean, it's, instead of, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the latest saying by the latest star of social media sure, in yes. Congress, uh, we get away from a policy discussion. You know, you know, how do we get the price of gas lower? How do we control spending? And how do we get people back to work? Things like that. And, and then and at the same time, they don't want to look at things like the Hunter Biden laptop or the, the the latest narrative, which, you know, two weeks from now, who knows where it's going to be, but about Joe Biden having classified, President Biden having classified material at his office as it was being moved. Um, let's talk about those two stories and why they're, why they're important, because we know the House is going to go down the road and look at the Hunter Biden laptop story. Presumably, they're going to look at this classified document story, because I think the two are interrelated. Why is this story important? Well, the classified document one, I think, is just going to show that, uh, you know, there's a double standard yeah. here. I mean, look, uh, if, if you're moving thousands and thousands of documents, the chance is, yeah, that may be a classified document. Sure. Okay, great. You know, bring them back. You know, no harm, no foul. But to make, they made a big deal about it for President Trump. Sure. And now when we find out that actually this happens more often than <laughs> we thought, it's not a big deal when, you know, uh, President Biden right. had, has done it as a vice president. Uh, that double standard, people, when I go into the communities, people are upset at the double standard that yeah. exists. They think a double standard exists not only for those in power versus those who aren't in power, but for those who are in power in one party versus those who are in power in the mm. other party. And that's not American. They, they under, fully understand that's not the way America is, but it's devolved into that. Yeah, no, it, it, it certainly there's 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 that perception out there, and I think rightly so. But the Democrats, not that I want to sort of goad you into this, it's not really goading, but but the the Democrats do better, I think, with double standards and hypocrisy. I think our side does far worse with it because we try to be intellectually consistent. The other side has no interest in being intellectually consistent. That makes it really almost harder to try to find any kind of compromise. Well, look, there, there, there is a difference between yeah. Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. We are, again, I think more independently minded. We go less with the herd. You know, if sure. the herd is told that this is what you're going to do, this is the story. You know, there was nothing on that Hunter Biden laptop. It was a Russian hoax. Everybody says, oh, there was nothing wrong with that laptop. It was a <laughs> Russian hoax. And then people on our side are looking at it going, wait a minute, it's the president's son. The guy is a drug addict. He, uh, you know, has questionable relationships in his life. He leaves this laptop at a store. Why wouldn't you think it's his laptop? Sure. And why wouldn't we want to know, you know, what might be on it vis-a-vis -vis, uh, overseas business interests? Absolutely. And, and, and whether um, or not, frankly, the vice president's office is for sale. I mean, I think yeah. there's Americans have a, have a, a, a particular interest in understanding if their president wasn't acting corrupt when he was vice president of the United States. Uh, look, yeah, I think yeah. if you ask most people, most people will say, yeah, it's totally believable that Hunter yeah. Biden was selling, you know, sure. his father's fame uh, for money overseas. Right. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, and, and again, you know, people are, j Americans are jaded. They, right. they don't trust people in power yeah. and basically. Right. But ow, the question we have to get to is, did it end at Hunter Biden? Sure. If there was no connection between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, so be it. Yeah. Let's find out. But if there was, that would be very, very worrisome. So shifting gears, you have a military background. Mm -hmm. You were a physician in the military. You were an, um, an, an anesthesiologist in, in the Navy, as I mm -hmm. recall. Um, but you have a certain background and understanding in national security and defense issues. So where do things go both with the war between Ukraine and Russia uh, and, and America and China and China's advances abroad? I mean, where do you see these threats down the road and – 
What are you doing in Congress? So, look, I, I firmly believe that uh, that a free economic system is going to prevail over a system of a controlled economy. Yeah. So I think in the end, if if we play our cards right, we will prevail over Russia and we'll prevail sure. over China because controlled economies just don't work. And yeah. it's been proven over the last hundred years. But we have to play our cards right. That means we have to go and look at the military and say, okay, uh, you know, how are we, you know, Russia's military budget is one-tenth of ours, and we're worried about Russia. Well, they're either very good at spending, uh, you know, efficiently spending on their military, or we're very bad at it. Uh, And it may be a combination of both, but we should, we have to look at our defense budget and say, look, this is serious. This yeah. is we have to have a position of strength. We, you know, I don't. And my, my favorite bugaboo is, you know, a Navy guy is that, that the Navy has a requirement to buy a certain amount of uh, of fuel that is not fossil generated fuel. Yeah, it's sure. Renewable fuel. <laughs> I guarantee you yeah. China is not buying renewable fuel sure. to fuel their aircraft carrier airplanes. Right. Okay. And Russia is not buying renewable fuel to run their tanks in Ukraine. If we do that, we're, 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 we're surrendering. Uh, it's a single side surrender when we do that. We have to get the woke stuff out. That was, yeah, that's where I was going next. Woke stuff us. has yeah. got to go out. I mean, the bottom line is uh, we, don't, we can't afford that luxury with two superpowers in the world who threaten uh, democracy and us directly. What are you hearing as a veteran? What are you hearing from your fellow vets and people who are still in about the, implement, the implementation of the, of the woke agenda within the military these days? Well, I'll tell you one of the most interesting things is, you know, one of the privileges we have as members of Congress are nominating people to academies. Mm-hmm. The fall off in people interested in really? going to academies is, is, is unspoken about in wow. this town, but it's dramatic. Wow. I mean, I think a growing number of people who's uh, and it's, it may originate with the parents yeah. who see what's going on in the military are saying to their children, remember that, you know, you go to an academy, it's a free ride. Sure. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> an excellent college education, yeah. you know, top five percent college education for free. Uh, they're looking at it. And I think a lot of them are saying, I'm not sure that's you know where I want my because, again, it appears the military's first objective is not to create a strong military that will never be challenged. I think they're afraid that when you create a woke military, it's a military that will be challenged. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, we've seen this. I mean, this is, do we do we operate under the assumption that Russia would still have invaded Ukraine had the the pullout from Afghanistan not been as disastrous as it was? And I'm not saying that it was the woke policies that caused that, but it was certainly incompetence of leadership. I, I think you yes, agree with I, that. Yes, I think that's right. It's leadership yeah. who, who's more interested in whether or not, you know, uh, we uh, we fund transgender surgery than whether or not we actually have a hypersonic missile to challenge the <laughs> sure. Russians and Chinese. You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, on this issue of Russia and Russian interference generally, right, we know that the Russians... And the Russian intelligence plays in American politics on both sides. Um, A lot of folks don't know that there was a major Russian outpost in the first that President Trump shut down. I don't know if you can talk any more about that, or, or if you if you remember that story. Well, I, I do. Yeah. I mean, they 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 the Russians wanted to have a presence in the first congressional district. Yeah. I think it was totally believable that it, that its purpose was not just for recreation yeah. for Russian uh, diplomats uh, on the beautiful eastern shore of Maryland, uh, and uh, you know said no. I mean, yeah. again, we we just have to be serious on all these fronts. And uh, again, when 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 the uh, when the le- your Joint Chiefs of 
staff, chief of the Joint Chiefs yeah. of Staff, and you have your Secretary of Defense saying, well, what we got to worry about are extremists in the military. No, no, no. What we have to worry about <laughs> are, the, are the people, right. the, the other extreme militaries like the Russian military and the Chinese military. Yeah. Our enemy is not within. It's without. Right, right, right. And it used to be that our politics would end at the nation's shoreline, and yep. it no longer has that anymore. Let's turn our attention to Maryland a little bit more generally. Uh, your wife is now chairman of the Maryland Republican mm -hmm. Party, and not that you necessarily need to speak for your wife. Um, we could talk about you know, whether or not the Maryland Republican Party was left in a stronger or weaker position after eight years of, of Governor Hogan, um, uh, and certainly whether or not it was left in a stronger or weaker position given the governor's opposition to the president of the United States for a good chunk of that. But let's talk about the challenges that Republicans are facing. I got a phone or an email today from a from a colleague wanting to know who is going to be pushing back against the Democrats' agenda in the state house, someplace where you were mm -hmm. for a number of years. Talk about the landscape there. Well, look, I mean, we, we have to be the voice of reason in Annapolis. No. The fact of the matter is we have a governor now, Wes Moore, who wants to be president. Uh, usually when governors want to be president, they do some pretty strange things. Sure. Uh, you know, again, if you're a Democrat, you want to be president, you uh, run to the left of everybody yeah. because that's the way you have to win the Democrat uh, presidential primary. So Maryland is primed for some pretty strange ideas. And, and we know because uh, they're going to look to California uh, for some of these ideas uh, and uh, they're going to try to, you know, transplant them into Maryland, uh, whether it's some of the crazy energy ideas, sure. uh, you know, banning uh, regular cars in Maryland. Uh, I know we have a big issue in my district with offshore wind, mm. uh, you know, pushing offshore wind, <laughs> which is very expensive and paid for on the backs of ratepayers. I sure. mean, the bottom line is that those windmills, which are very expensive, are paid for yeah. on, on your gas and electric bill. And, and that's, you know, again, so we have to be the voice of reason, say, no, actually, our taxes are high enough. Uh, our regular, you know, our regulatory burden is high enough. Uh, you know, we, we don't do anything to increase the cost of energy. Uh, if, if we're going to, we're going to, we're, look, we're a generous people. If we're going to give people benefits oh, yeah. from the government, we're going to ask them to work, sure. things like this. And the last one is, I think, very importantly, and I urge my Republican colleagues all that, we have to talk about education choice. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the entree into the minority community because unfortunately it's the minority communities usually who don't have the option right. of taking their children and taking them out of the public education system. I think this Ron DeSantis in Florida had an excellent program, yeah. expanded it. I think that's why his margin of victory was was one of the reasons why his margin was so much larger for his second term than his first term is he delivered on education choice in Florida. And Lord knows, I mean Maryland, where the Democrats are touting the fact that they spend more per pupil than anywhere else, or just about more per pupil. Like there, It's always yeah. up there in the top yep. five. Um, and yet continuously, worse and worse results, especially in places like Baltimore City, which is yep. essentially and failed. And Prince George's County, the, yep. min the minority communities, because I sat on the Education yep. Committee of the Maryland Senate, the minority communities are the ones that can least afford the Democrats' uh, union-driven education policies. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so, and, you know, your your plans, I mean, are you, you're going to stick around for a while longer? What well, you, uh, well, uh, I'm, I got reelected, yeah, so I'm going to be here this thing. term. Uh, you know, we'll see what ha what happens. I mean, the bottom line is, I love serving the first congressional district of Maryland. It's wonderful people. Uh, there, you know, the, it's the con it's the most conservative part of Maryland, which I consider the most common sense part. Now, I, I ask this, and I usually preface it in the same way. I had at one point been talking about doing a podcast called Outside Interests, in which mm -hmm. we talk to folks in D.C. and political and policy world about stuff that happens outside. I know you've got a, a wife, you've got a family. When you're not when you're not uh, in Congress, when you're not uh, doing your congressional work, what are you up to? 
um, usually want to fix an engine somewhere. Yeah. I have tractors, I have jet skis, I have uh, old cars, I have, you know, you name it. If it has an engine and it doesn't work, I want to try to fix it. Interesting. And then, and then because it's the first and it's the Eastern shore, but it's also portions of the Western shore. What's one place you would recommend that people go and visit in, in the district? I should have asked you this before, so you could have thought about it. But, sure. Well, look, once yeah. you cross the Bay Bridge, uh, onto the Eastern shore of Maryland, there are so many places sure. you can visit. I mean, St. Michael's, uh, Cambridge, if you'll, if you uh, the downtown is uh, being oh, yeah. revitalized, we're going to have a new waterfront. You can go to Salisbury. Uh, and, of course, you could end up in Ocean City. Sure, absolutely. Well, Congressman Andy Harris, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us as well. I'm Andrew Langer. This has been the Lunch Hour with Federal Newswire. Enjoy the rest of your lunch. This has been the Federal Newswire Lunch Hour podcast, hosted by Andrew Langer. Check out the Federal Newswire's family of websites, as well as their social media stream 